This is one of my favorite. It, actually, this is my favorite place to come. And, uh, we're, we're doing years now. It's, um, we're working toward a decade. And, uh, yeah, so, hi. How's everyone? Yeah, you like what I'm wearing? You like my... Like, can I pull these off, these shoes? This, this is brought to you by Madeline, my daughter in the back. She's, actually, she's wearing the same shoes. She told me I could pull this off. So far, so good. And I have a mission. I was, I was shopping. Uh, and I, For me, um, also, I understand that preachers, there's a thing about their kicks. These are only these are only five dollars. <laughs> Just wanted you to know. I can play the game. I like I like shoes and I love jackets. Jackets is like that. Every year I want a new jacket. I feel like every year I should get a new jacket. My wife disagrees with me. My wife she likes to sit. Her family's here. My whole family's here. I love you guys. So she's sitting back with her folks. Yeah. And so I, in, in, in August, we were at a H&M, and I saw this. And I don't know about you guys, but when I get to heaven, heaven is going to be a spaceship and an avatar. <laughs> you can come with me. There'll be a porthole. You can visit, do whatever you want. I don't need a mansion. I need a spaceship, and I want to check out Avatar. And let's see. Are you guys with me? I mean, I wouldn't write anything about that because that might come back to kick me in the butt. So I saw this jacket, NASA, and I wanted it, and my wife said no. But my, my daughter, she was paying attention. She was with us, and so she bought it on the sly. And got, I, got it for, I got it for Christmas. So I actually am. Shoes, I'm dressed by Madeline. Way to go. Bill Vanderbush was here. How many were here at the Reformers Gathering? Okay, I want to, I want to, I've stolen this, but because Bill's here and you, you probably heard it, uh, I've already done it several times, but I want to start this morning right like this, and, and, and you can do it with me, but those of you that were here probably already did this exercise, but Bill did an exercise where he said, I wanted everybody to picture, he had us close our eyes, so if you haven't done it and you remember, I want you to do it, just to close your eyes. He did this exercise where he said, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture a throne room. Uh, the throne room of God, and, and in that throne room, uh, and it can be big, it can be small, remember this? Some of you remember this? In that throne room, it can be large, small, whatever, it's your imagination, but I want you to picture a throne room, and in that throne room is a throne, and on that throne is Father God. Can you picture it? And then he said, one more thing, I want, I want you to picture yourself in the room. He didn't give us any more instruction than that. He just said, I want you to picture yourself in the room. Remember? Anybody remember where they were in the room? I remember where I was in the room. He had us open our eyes, and then he said, he said, uh, he said now, uh, a show of hands. He said, how many were in the room, but they were kind of at a distance, like maybe at the door, or they were back in the back corner, and, they were, and, and some hands went up. And then he said, that's awesome. That's a good place to be here. It's beautiful. He said, how many people were at the, at, the, at the foot of Jesus or at the foot of the throne, the foot of the Father? And a bunch of hands went up. He said, that's a beautiful place to play to be worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And then he said, uh, he said uh, uh, how many people were sitting at the right hand of the Father in Christ, right? And, and, and I, that's where I was, just to be personal, just to let you know, my, as I was doing the process, I was sitting at the right hand of the Father in Christ. And I thought, this is really good. I thought, I thought he was done. But if you recall, he said one more thing. He said, how many of you are sitting on the throne. <laughs> John seventeen twenty one. It is the scripture that I have been mesmerized with uh, for the last well over a year. I don't think I've actually preached a message without, without uh, reading it at some point. We have the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is, on earth as it is in heaven, starts with Dad. It says, start. The fellows wanted to know how to pray. And
And Jesus said, this is, this is how you do it. Call him dad. Jesus came to reveal to us the father and what it looks like to live confident in his affection as a child. And so he teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Dad, on earth as it is in heaven. You know this, right? This is the Lord's Prayer. It's a good prayer. But the Lord's Prayer that I want to tell you about this morning as we get going is John 17, 21. And I pray, this is Jesus' words. I pray that they will be one. He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to all of us. I pray that they will be one just as you are and I are one as you are in me, Father. And I am in you. Hold on. Let's, let's do that again. And I pray that they will be one. That the same intimacy that I've had with my Father on display, the same oneness that I have with my Father, the same reality of existence that when I wake up in the morning I think to myself what do I want to do today and the father says that's a great idea and I wake up in the morning and I say father what do you want to do today and then I say that's a great idea and I pray that you would know oneness Intimacy, just as I know it, just as you, Father, and me, and I'm in you, that we are one. Father, and I'm in you, and may they be in us. How does the world know about the love of God? Bless you. The world knows about the resurrection life about a fearless life when believers, when sons and daughters are one. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Ephesians 2.16 says, And God raised raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ. You know, there's at the right hand of the Father. Amen? So, so this idea, this idea that, that I could be one with him in such a way that when I'm in a throne room, I'm actually sitting on the throne. It's not that he isn't creator and, I, and I'm not created. It's that there is an intimacy, a revelation of what he purchased for us at the cross, what he took to, to its conclusion. There is no, as Bill says, no distance and no separation between us. Jesus came, he revealed the Father, then he went to a cross, and on a cross he hung there. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he said, it's finished. And he took the lie of distance and separation to its conclusion. So that upon his resurrection, all of us rose. He died, and when he rose, we rose with him. <laughs> you guys have heard this one many times. This is my, my book here, uh, Prone to Love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something from I haven't read from this book at the pulpit for a long time. This morning I want to, um, I want to talk about a relationship with God that is measureless. I actually want to blow our minds up a little bit. I have a thought for you here. This will, this will start here. Let's start here. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses... I'll throw a thought at you right now. We live within the context of measurements. We live in a finite reality. 
we, we trade in the commodity of needs met. But Jesus lived from a measureless revelation. He lived, uh, he lived in the context of intimacy with his father in which all the father had was his. Everywhere he went, he believed that love was the answer to every question that aches in the heart of humanity. One of the things I love about, about this church is that above all else, it's about his presence. I'm convinced that his presence is love. So I am also all about his presence. It's the only thing that matters. I'm convinced one encounter with him changes everything. So there's a cloud of witnesses right now cheering us on. Here's a thought. If you are, if, if, if Adam and Eve, God, God created Adam and Eve, he created a finite world and then he blew his, his spirit into them. He blew the measureless revelation of his love into them. And then he invited them to live in the finite context of earth, but from a measureless and infinite revelation of his love. I'm going to say it and then we're going to come back to it. I, I realize I jumped ahead. I do that. I'd like to pr- pr- propose that right now, while I am preaching here, I'm also cheering myself on. <laughs> Woohoo! Way to go, Jason! <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've lived a great portion of my life from earth to heaven. My understanding of my circumstances or my needs has been, for the most part, greater than my revelation of his love. I've done most of my thinking, talking, praying, and worshiping in the limitations of my understanding of the needs that I'm facing, both with God and the world around me. I've related to the Father in heaven and others through the lens of limited resources. I've confined heaven to the measurements of earth, and I've discovered that if the reality of need, the limited Resources of earth is my compass. Insecurity is a daily companion. Insecurity can lead to strange bedfellows, so to speak. Insecurity is often the invitation to a wrestling match with feelings of hopelessness, envy, greed, lust, and all other desperations of need. When need or the measurements or the finite understanding of earth, my understanding, is bigger than his measureless love, dysfunction will worm its way into every relationship, including the one I have with him. When we live from the limited resources of earth, we intrinsically believe that for one person to have, another must go without. For one to be blessed, another must be cursed. For one to experience joy, another must know sorrow. For one to have peace, another must be oppressed. For one to be rich, another must be poor, and so on and so on. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus revealed. Because he lived from the measureless revelation of heaven. The last are also first, the weak are also strong, and those that that, uh, give receive. Here's what I want to get after this morning. There are no limited resources in Jesus' reality. Relational, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. There are no limited resources in his love. Several... Several years ago, I had one of the most profound um, moments with God. You know, maybe top five profound revelation moments with God. I was, we were in a season financially and, uh, and circumstantially, t- it was a tough season. And, uh, and this particular tough season was connected to our finances. And we were behind on everything. And, and, and a good ways behind in a lot of it. <clears throat> but I was discovering that his love is the answer to every question that aches in my heart. His love is the answer to all the, all the measurements that I'm, I'm living confined to, including my understanding. I was learning that if I was to be offended by God, it wouldn't be by how bad he is, but by how good he is. Lately, I offended a whole bunch of people with how good I think he is. I'm starting to make a business out of it. <laughs> I told a person recently, I said, I, I will not ever again be offended by how bad he is, but he keeps offending me with his goodness. 
He's better than I think he is. The moment I think he's, he's good, he goes, Jason, you don't have a clue. So I was in this moment where I was mowing my yard and I was uh, just worshiping him and having a fellowship with him. And he brought to my attention Ephesians 3.16. You know it? I'm all over the place. You guys all right? Yeah. We just love you, Jesus. Oh, it's the one where I pray that you'd be rooted and established in love. And it's in here somewhere, so I'm going to find it. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, I love this, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled <clears throat> to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there's these measurement words in this scripture. I'm going to come back. We're going to read this again. But there's these measurement words in this scripture. I want you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But then he, uh, uh, Paul moves on. He says, now to him who is able to do or immeasurably, exceedingly or immeasurably more, more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. I've always loved that scripture. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. I've always loved that scripture. And I'm out mowing the grass. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm having this beautiful time with him. And, I'm, and, and I'm, not, I'm not worried about our needs or our circumstances. I was in a situation in a season where God had brought revelation to me that, that him and I made an agreement that I wasn't going to interact with him based on my, my understanding or my circumstances or my need before I, I, based, I interacted with him based on his love. Right? So every prayer was, first, I'm going, to, I'm going to lean into the measureless revelation of your love, and from there, I'll go ahead and lean into the other stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. If on earth as it is in heaven comes before daily bread, you don't pray desperate prayers. Yeah. Right? Wow. I'm on the ark, and God says, hey, Jason. My father says, hey, Jason. Like, yeah. And he says, you know that Jesus never lived for the beyond all you can ask or imagine. He lived from it. Now, that wasn't the response that I was expecting. <laughs> Except for it was because I've told this story many, many times. And it doesn't relate because you weren't in my heart. You have to understand this. My whole life, I was living for something. My whole life was a desire to fulfill the call of God, a desire to live uh, as a righteous son, a desire to be a good husband, a desire to make a buck. All the things I was doing, I was doing for something. I was doing it for God. I didn't even fully understand that I was doing it. And what he had just done is he'd flipped the whole thing on its head. He said, Jason, the reality is, son, is that Jesus never did anything for. He did everything from. And he did everything from a measureless revelation of my love, a love that sits outside of time and space, a love that is beyond your capacity to understand, a love that is offensively good. I remember, uh, I can't explain to you, when you get revelation, uh, you understand. You, in your heart, your heart bursts. Like to me, this was one of the most epic moments of my life because it was an aha moment, a moment where revelation, what was hidden, is, it, it, what was always there but was hidden, suddenly became alive to me. I realized that Jesus, that, that Jesus lived out of the longing, fulfilled desire. Like he lived out of his heart. He lived out of intimacy with God. And, and everything he did, he did from this measureless revelation of his father's affection. So, um, how about them Buffalo Bills? <laughs> sorry. Sorry about, sorry about the Green Bay Packers, man. Too soon? You knew it was coming. 
I almost called you. But I thought, nah. I'll just say it from the pulpit, Mike. We, uh, we had a re- home remodel at our house about six months ago, eight months ago, just before the season. The bills were pretty good this year. You got to admit, come on, that is a good-looking team. Come on. One game behind the pack, man. Come on now. We made it. We were the playoffs this year. A little respect. I, uh, I got the, uh, I got our, I got, we had this home remodel, and in this home remodel, they had to rip out some walls, and therefore I could run uh, some new wiring to a particular wall where I'd always wanted this room to be like a, a, a media room. Amen. Yeah. And so we put our TV in there, and then I went on the hunt, and I found a, a Bose surround sound system. This is 10 years old, but it's Bose, man. It's amazing. And I, you know, you got the, and this thing is probably made for a room twice the size, so it's like, so I had this room all set up just before football season, which is why I brought up the Bills. We watched a lot of football in that room this, this last year, but, but I was so excited, and we got a new couch in there, and and I was so excited that uh, I t- turned on my, my favorite movie to, to check the whole thing out. Now, I, uh, as you can see, Avatar would have been a good guess. That would have been a good guess. But because but, uh, if, if a movie has these three things in it, I will watch it. Unless it's horror or something, I don't do that. But, but if it has these three things in it, I am intrigued. If it's, if it's in the future, that, that gets me. If space is involved... I'm, I'm like, I'm fully in. And if time travel is also in this movie, like that is the perfect, I mean, that is unbelievable, which if you think about it, if time travel is involved, it has to be in the future as well. So you could probably just say two things. But my point is, is, is uh, I, I, love, I love any, and so I turned on probably one of my most favorite movies. I turned on Interstellar. You ever seen Interstellar? It's in the future, right? There's space travel, and there's even some time travel. This is like, if, if there's a perfect movie, this is it right here. And I turned it up to 95. A few times I even went to 100. But that was too much, so I went down to 95. And I watched this movie. You guys, so you've seen it. I don't want to ruin the movie for you. But I want to tell you about the scene, a uh, particular scene, without, without ruining it. But I can't recommend this movie more. Uh, <clears throat> this particular scene, uh, it, it, there's the, they're in space. They're in their spaceship. And they're probably called something else. But I like calling them spaceships. That works. And they're up. And, they're, and, 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 and there's, uh, there's three scientists on the, on, the, on the spaceship at this point, And two of them have to make a decision. They're having to make a decision where the fate of humanity is at stake. How do you know you're watching a good movie? When at some point in the movie, the fate of humanity is at stake. Right? So that's, this movie's got everything. And I'm not kidding. Like the fate of all humanity and, and everything, the fate of animals, it's all at stake, and they have to make this decision. And these two scientists are going back and forth. They only have enough resources to make one, uh, to, to make it, they have to decide over one thing or the other. They can't do both. And because they're in this situation, they're debating, and they're giving the measurements of all the reasons that they have to make this decision, and the, and the data of all the reasons they might make this decision. And they're going back and forth, and they're arguing. And as they're arguing, uh, one of the scientists, she actually, she is a girl scientist, uh, made, played by Anne Hathaway. Got it? And, and the girl scientist, Anne Hathaway, she... Uh, she kind of throws out in the middle of this argument over one thing. She has a particular uh, desire for this one choice because if they make the choice she's arguing for, she'll get to see somebody she hasn't seen in a long time who she loves. And as she's arguing for her choice, she makes a comment. She says something about how I feel. And, and the other character, the other scientist, immediately goes, Aha! Because scientists don't make decisions based on how they feel. Right? So I want to read you the, I want to read you the, the script because this is, this, the dialogue this is unbelievable. Right? So what you got is you got, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. And so what you got is you got two scientists in space arguing over the, the decision of fate of the world. You with me? And, and, and then Cooper, 
Cooper, that's the, other, that's the male scientist, the, the boy scientist, uh, McConaughey. Yeah. Right? This is a good movie. So his name is Cooper. And he's, now remember, Brand, Anne Hathaway's character, has just made a comment about the decision she wants to make. And she's making this comment based on some emotions. And he says to her, he says, you're a scientist, Brand. And Brand, she says, so listen to me when I say that love isn't something that we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Cooper, McConaughey says, love has meaning, yes. Social utility, social bonding, child rearing. She interrupts him. She says, we love people who have died. Where's the social utility in that? Right? He says, none. Then she says, love isn't something that we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Maybe it means something more, something we can't understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive and then catch this, maybe my favorite, my favorite line in, an, in any movie. She says, it's just, love is the one thing that we are capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. There was a science, scientific study done in, in 2000. This is pretty cool, too. And the, the study was almost 3,400. It was 3,400 people. They took 3,400 people who had had a blood infection, sepsis, a pretty serious infection. You can die from it. <clears throat> And they put them into two groups. They split them up. So about 1,700 in one group and 1,700 in another group. And they wanted to determine uh, whether or not remote intercessory prayer said for a particular group of patients with a bloodstream infection has an effect on outcomes. It was randomized and controlled test. You with me? So here's what they did. They said... In 2000, they said, we're going to take 1,700 people. We're going to put them in over here in A. They, they have all their cases. It's remote, so we're not actually going to go see them. This, this prayer group isn't going to see them. They're remote. But we're going to take these 700 team, 1,700 people, and we're not going to do anything with them. We're not going to pray for them or anything. Just, that's, I didn't make the study, but that's. <laughs> and then they said, we're going to take 1,700 people, and we're going to put them in this group. And we're going to have some prayer warriors, some prayer, some prayer warriors pray from a distance. And all they're going to have for information, uh, if, if you read the study, all they have for information is their case study and, uh, uh, and the type of infection. And so they did it over a period of time. And then they collected the data. They collected all the data from here, and they collected all the data from here, and they, and they, they looked at all the data. And they were testing. Here's the things they were testing. They were testing mortality rate in the hospital, length of stay in the hospital, and duration of fever. You with me? They took the data, they ran it through, and here's what they discovered. They discovered that the mortality rate in the second group was slightly better than the intervention group. That's good. Less deaths. However, the length of stay in the hospital and the duration of fever were significantly shorter in the intervention group. That's cool. Right? So here's the test. We want to see if prayer works. Turns out it does. <laughs> but here's the part of the, the test I, did, I withheld, a piece of information, a very, very important and fascinating piece of information I withheld from you. This wasn't just a test to see whether, re, whether remote intercessory prayer worked. It was a test to determine whether remote retroactive intercessory prayer worked. So they did this test in 2000, but the case studies were from 1990 through 1996. Wow. Yeah, you almost need a flux capacitor to understand that. <laughs> right? That's unbelievable, right? Are, are you following what I'm saying? So I told my daughter, I, I, I think this is amazing. Like, I think this is, 
So I said to my daughter, I said, it's kind of like this, Eva. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. God lives outside of time and space, right? We live in, 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 our, in, in the finite understanding, in our finite boxes. We have this understanding. We live in, in bodies that are finite. But, but Eva, he breathed the measureless revelation of his love into us, and he invites us daily to live from that place. And so here's what's happening. The, the one who lives outside of time and space, he's standing there, and, 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 and he hears. There's, like, there's prayers coming up to him, and he, and he goes, okay, so there's some sick people uh, over here in 1990 through 96, and I'm hearing prayers over here from 2000. I go, yeah, that'll do. I said, Eva, I said, Eva, let's try it. So, five years before this, I tore an ACL and it had healed. And so I thought, I'm going to pray over my torn ACL. I said, Eva, let's try it. I closed my eyes. I said, Father, right now, I declare that that thing that was meant for evil will be changed towards good. That you'll bring absolute restoration. I'm grinning while I say it. Absolute restoration, because I know the end of the story. That you'll bring <laughs> absolute restoration to my knee. That, that that'll actually become a catalyst. That moment will become a catalyst to move us from one place to another. It did. And, and, and that you completely redeem, completely redeem that situation for my family, emotionally, spiritually, financially, in every way. And in Jesus' name, amen. And then I opened my eyes and looked at Eva and went, It worked! I time traveled, Eva! Yeah, she just gave me a look. It's the same one she gave me that day. It's like, okay, weirdo. Right now, right now, you are in the cloud of witnesses cheering us on. That's crazy. Mess with your head. (laughs) I'm going to take this off now. Worked as a good prop for a while, didn't it? Thank you, brother. I told you this because I want to invite you this morning into some measureless thinking. (laughs) I got a little side tangent that's been in my heart that I think I I was holding. I think it's for this morning. I'm going to come back here. I love that story, the interstellar. I'm going to jump off of there, that interstellar story, where she's having an argument. She's discussing with him how to make a decision. They take all the data, all that stuff, and then she interacts with him and says, but love has to play a role in this equation, right? She says, I feel. I'm on a particular journey right now where I'm convinced if God gave me sight, the ability to hear, taste, touch, what are all the five? I get them all. Smell. A whole person operates with all of these things functioning whole, wholly at 100%, correct? He also gave us feelings. It's time that we understood he actually wants us to, to operate out of our feelings, to actually be able to trust our feelings. If he is redeeming and restoring, I had a young man that I would, I would counsel, and I counseled him for years, and he would come to me, and he's a radical believer involved in the church. He would say, I have these thoughts about myself, and I would say, well, those thoughts aren't true. Yeah, I know, and I have these feelings about myself. Those feelings aren't true. And in the early days, I would say to him, you have to take the truth, and you have to apply it to your feelings. I believe that's true. I believe we live in a planet where, where there's distance and separation in our, in our narrative. And, and any place that there's anxiety, any place that there's uh, um, insecurity uh, is, a, is a really good sign that we don't fully understand his love for us in that area. And, and so those feelings, they start, to, they start to lie to you. But I want to tell you right now that you're actually meant, I'm on a quest to live fully out of my feelings. 
Meaning when I wake up in the morning, I'm so one with him that the things I want to do are the things he wants to do. I realized when I was counseling this, this young fellow that the one piece I wasn't giving him was, hey, I, I want to give you truth so you can speak to your feelings. That's really important. But the other reality is, is that uh, if at some point you can't actually trust your feelings uh, and that continues on, you're a very unhealthy person. I actually believe God wants the church to re-embrace her feelings. Because he lives here. I'm all over the place, but let's see if we can land it. Guys okay? There's this 18-inch journey. You familiar with it? From the head to the heart? I would like to suggest it's this way, from the heart to the head. It's not this way. Jesus has passed. It's three days. He's passed. Disciples are meeting in the upper room. They're meeting in a, in a, in a, the followers, all the followers of God, all of the followers of God are meeting. I want to take you on the ground. This is the day that the resurrection has happened, okay? And Peter and John have raced down to the tomb. They've seen the empty tomb. Mary had, had met with Jesus, the gardener, remember? And so this, this, I want to take you on the ground. This is the scene I want you to come into. You're, we're, we're now in this moment where, where um, the followers of Jesus, their, their sorrow has turned to, uh, their sorrow and their fear has turned to some form of curiosity. I'm sure they're still afraid. I'm still, they're st- still sorrowful. But they're also, there's this hope happening. There's this, there's this confusion among them because there's these words coming out that the tomb is empty and who stole Jesus' body. And Mary's saying he's alive and, and they've met angels, right? <clears throat> so this is what's happening. Uh, and in this moment, you have, uh, in Luke 24, you have Annette, uh, um, uh, Cleopas, in Luke 24, Cleopas and another disciple, probably Luke, because he's writing the story, they have some business in Emmaus, about seven miles down the road, and this is the, the Emmaus road journey, if you will. So what happens is, uh, in the context of, 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 of his resurrection and the confusion of the followers, you have these two guys that are on a road, and they're walking to Emmaus. And as they're walking to Emmaus discussing all that's taken place, you know the story, Jesus shows up next to them incognito, right? And he's walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And, and he begins to interact with them based on uh, what's taken place. He actually asks them, what are they talking about? He plays clueless to even knowing himself, Right? Jesus who? Is what, and they're like, how did you, how, have you been under a rock this whole time? It's all the talk. That's all that we're talking about. He plays clueless and he walks with them and, and, and they begin to tell him, we thought he might have been the one, but maybe he was just a prophet. And he rebukes them and he begins to reveal himself to them uh, using scripture. Right? You with me? And they're so amazed, and we know this, because as they get to their destination, he pretends he's got somewhere else to be, and they're so enamored and so amazed, they say, you you got to come with us into our house. They wouldn't let him leave. You know the story. And they get him, they take him in the house, and he sits down, and if you remember the story, he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread... Their eyes are opened, and they see the risen Christ in the room. The greatest revelation that there is is sitting in front of them. Right? Are you with me? They say, oh, he, they recognize him, and then as the story goes, he disappears, which is really odd, especially in light of what happens next. But, but they say, after he disappears, they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us on the road? What they were saying was, did not we recognize here before we got him here? 
He was engaging every part of us on the road. But it was the recognition, the recognition we'd stewarded in our hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the reason it's in that order. And they had become so convinced in his goodness that they were operating out of this union, out of this oneness, out of this desire that he was being inviting us into. And in that, they, that they knew before they knew, they knew before they knew, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us on the road. And then, poof, he's gone. Now, this is where it gets confusing for me. Have you ever wondered about this? Because if you know the story, they got back up They went the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They went in. They began to tell the disciples and the followers of Jesus all that had happened that day. And while they're speaking about it, Jesus shows up into the room. Which means, in my time and space thinking, Jesus followed them back to Jerusalem. Just about ten feet behind. That's weird. Why was he invisible? I would like to propose the moment they got him, he said, okay, let me reveal myself. And the moment they got the revelation, he said, they don't need to see me anymore. They got it here. This will just mess them up. I trust them here. Because this is where intimacy happens. This will get offended with me. Do you understand that Jesus spent an entire three years offending people with how good he was? Let the little children come to me. That was offensive. Healing people on the Sabbath, that was offensive. He kept offending people with how good he was. I'm only willing to be offended with one thing, how good he is. And when I am, I repent. See, revelation is simply this. Revelation is simply what was always there is now revealed in greater measure. It wasn't revelation on the road, the Emmaus Road. It wasn't revelation. It was really good teaching. I I want to throw this at you too, and I I do feel like I'm all over the place, but I I feel Holy Spirit on it. You guys okay? Everybody all right? Holy Spirit... uh, There was this moment, amen, in Scripture where, uh, where the disciples, where the disciples, yeah, and this is what we're going to go after. The disciples went into this little Samaritan village just on the way to Jerusalem for Jesus, and he was going to the cross, and, and they, they rejected the disciples, and they rejected Jesus, and the, and the two fellows, James and John, came back to Jesus, and they went, hold on. They, they talked to each other, and they said, that whatever we tell them, it needs to be biblical, and so they started to work their way through the Bible, and they went, oh, I got it. And so they presented a biblical idea to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, let's rain down fire on the city. And Jesus said, that might be biblical, but it's nothing like me. You know not what spirit you're of. There's my spirit and whatever else there you guys are doing. You want to be in my spirit. Jesus is walking with these fellows, Cleopas and maybe Luke on, on the Emmaus Road. And he's engaging them with scripture. But that scripture is pointing to one thing. He's giving the best exegesis ever of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen through scripture. And on the road, it's a really good message. And on the road, they could have started a really good ministry, itinerant ministry. I always say this. I think, I think they could have just rocked it for a while, made some good money <laughs> with all their biblical knowledge. They had a lot of it. But it would have puffed them up eventually because that's what knowledge does. And it would have went sideways because he's after this. He's after intimacy. 
And so he hid himself next to them on the road so they would learn the language of God. And he said, because by the way, I've redeemed this and this is where I want to commune with you. And he let them steward their hearts with this great big yes towards his goodness. And that yes towards his goodness called them in the house and that's where they got revelation. It's when this caught up with this. That's what revelation is. It's when he's been speaking to you in your heart and your heart is burning. It's when a guy says, are you on the throne with him? And your head goes, whoa! And your heart burns. Because there's something true about intimacy with him. Because he's been praying that we're one. You get it? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. And I want you to know this love. I want you to know here this love that surpasses knowledge. Here. Yeah, amen. Here's what was on my heart for this morning. I preached three different messages. <laughs> the good news is there, that I only have one, so it works out. He loves you. My dad and I have this thing that we, we joke about. I say, um, the Jason of 10 years ago would think the Jason of today is a heretic. But if he didn't, I'm not growing. Here's the deal. Listen. (laughs) The Jason of 10 years ago would really like the Jason of today. I haven't gotten weirder. I've fallen more in love. (laughs) I want to be like that guy someday. Worked out. Right? All right, so as I've talked, here's the things I want to say. If you're going to be offended by him, be offended by how good he is. That is a really good place to practice offense because then you can repent and get a better revelation. I've had a lot of people want to argue with me how bad he is over the last three months. Ask me if I'm willing to be offended by how bad he is, and I say no. But I am willing to be offended by how good he is. I continue to daily grow in a revelation of how good he is. And I'm more sure today than I was yesterday. I'll be more sure tomorrow than I am today. And it's brought great transformation and great life to me. The second thing on my heart this morning, I guess, was I, I really do believe, and I'm, and I'm writing about it now, and I, 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 it's kind of a tangent, but I really believe that, that, that God is wanting He's out of this union, out of this oneness with him. Here's what it is. Jesus did the stuff he wanted to do. Can you imagine what it is to be one with him, to wake up in the morning and go, I'd really like to, and then go do it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he'd really like to do that too? What kind of oneness is when you wake up and longing fulfilled is your revelation? This is not a circumstantial thing I'm talking about. Freedom is the ability to, regardless of your circumstance, walk out of intimacy with him. It's the oddest thing that for the joy set before him, he endured a cross. Righteousness, peace, and joy. These are, these two of these are, are, are feelings that we're meant to actually own as not just feelings. They're way bigger than feelings, but they're meant to be a part of our emotional dynamic. Jesus, on the way to the cross... One with the Father for the joy set before him endures the cross, scorning the lie of separation and its fruit, shame. And out of intimacy, he's free because freedom is the ability to be able to live in the middle of joy regardless of your circumstances. Freedom is the ability to lay in a boat regarding, and fall asleep regardless of the storm. 
I'm not speaking to circumstances. When I say you wake up in the morning, you do the thing you want to do. It's not about your circumstances. It's about freedom. It's about oneness with him. It's about intimacy. I'm convinced that he's invited us into this intimate relationship, this oneness with him, where we become so confident in his pleasure, so confident in his affection, so confident in how he thinks and moves and has his being, that we actually are thinking and moving and have our being in the same way. And it's not some hard task. It's not something we're working toward. It's actually something we're working from because the measureless love of God is something that we live from, not for. We already have all of his love. We already have all of his pleasure. We already have all of his affection. We already have all of his all of his finances and emotional breakthrough and spiritual breakthrough. I'm convinced that love is the answer to every question that aches in the heart of this room and any other room. It is the answer to every question that aches in the heart of humanity. And he's invited us into this kind of, this oneness that sets us free so that we can walk as powerful people, regardless of circumstances, that we can speak to the circumstances and say, peace be still, or we can sleep in them because we're one with the father. Because it's a measureless love. Because he's up here, somewhere outside of time and space, looking at the narrative and going, I can take 2,000 prayers and apply them to 1990. Because that's how I roll. And you are with me, seated at the right hand of the Father. Or even better, you're seated one with me. Let's do it again. Let's close our eyes. There's a throne room and our father's in it. <laughs> Let your mind be offended and go where your heart tells you. Father, I just pray over this house of every individual here a greater revelation of your love. I speak to the emotions. There are some folks in this room right now who feel they can't trust their, their feelings, that they're untrustworthy. I, I invite your love, your measureless love, into these places right now to begin to melt every, every lie of separation I release joy over these, these people. I release joy over these folks that they could scorn the shame and walk in oneness with you, that you are redeeming our feelings, that you are inviting us to live in the abundance and the overflow of our hearts. Continue to teach us your language, Lord. Continue to love us. Continue to open our eyes and our hearts to you. Bless this house in Jesus' name. Amen.